Welcome to In the Midst, a podcast where we make room to sit in the midst of grief with others. I'm your host, Alyssa, and I am joined today by my friend, Michaela Kajawa. All right, we're back, and this week I am joined by my good friend, Michaela. You want to say hi? hi. <laughs> Hello. Um, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to us? Good to meet you guys. I am Michaela Kajawa. I am <laughs> 23, uh, first year teacher, uh, intervention specialist living in Columbus, Ohio right now. Yeah, that's literally takes up the entirety of my life. So <laughs> that's about all there is. It's a tough job, as we've learned. Yeah. yeah. Gosh. Um, so Michaela and I were actually roommates our freshman year at IWU. Um, and it was a super chaotic year. We had a lot of fun in the fall semester, ended up going on spring break together. And that was a trip. That was a story <laughs> broke down in Kentucky. Um, so a lot of those like first core memories in college tie Michaela and I together. Um, but there are other things that we have shared in common one of those being that Michaela and I have both lost our dads um and we're gonna get into that in a little bit but uh to start us off could you share what your earliest memory of grief is like what's the first time you remember oh this is what it's like losing someone yeah yeah um for me probably um would have been my freshman year of college uh, my grandma passed away actually. So, and actually I think you were there in the room actually with me yeah. when I got that text yeah. or call. Um, that was probably the first time that I like felt something. I think when I, somebody I knew died, like obviously I'd had like some distant relatives die and stuff like that. But my grandma was kind of one of the people that I actually had more of a relationship with. So earliest definitely would have been freshman year, you know, that was my first official funeral I attended first going through the motions with the family and stuff. So yeah, freshman year, freshman years would be it for me. Yeah, I do remember that. And that was hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, well, it was so, it's just so weird. Cause you know, maybe 18 year old me, Yeah, <laughs> you know, never, never really gone through anything tough, you know, per se in life. So that was the first well, what I thought was going to be the hardest thing right. to experience, but yeah, little did we know. Yeah. So if you listen to the first episode, um, I share about April 30th being, um, probably one of the hardest days of my life. Uh, it was the day that my dad passed away suddenly from a heart attack. Um, but I remember being in the car on the way back to Marion, Indiana before learning this about my dad and in our group chat between a couple girls, um, Courtney, who will be on this podcast a little later and our good friend Lex, um, Michaela had texted us and shared with us some news about her dad who had just gone to the doctor. Um, and so while April 30th was the day that I lost my dad, April 30th was kind of the beginning of your journey with your dad. Mm -hmm. um, so I would love if you could just share with us a bit of your story. Yeah. So April 30th, and this is like always just the biggest thing to me of how connected we are on this. So is crazy. I remember um, 
I was home. So it was, I had come home. We were on break. We finished our freshman year Mm -hmm. of college. I was getting ready for a few days and I was going back for May term. And we got a phone call um, and it was one of my dad's coworkers. And he was like, Hey, and as you know, people who know my dad, Pastor Cujo, mm-hmm. I said, Hey, you know, Pastor Cujo is acting real weird, like real strange. He's, you know, not really making sense. His, he's not really forming any words. Um, he's trying to like put a key in a door that doesn't have a keyhole, just like really bizarre things. You know, it's like, okay, something's up yeah. type of thing. Um, and mm-hmm. so obviously my mom being a nurse was like, take him to the emergency room right now. We're, we're, we'll meet you there. So we uh, actually met them at the emergency room and it was just like a really bizarre thing to experience and witness. Like my dad, like very clearly something wrong. And at this point, like it's pretty clear that it's something in the brain. Like we kind of thought, oh, it's a stroke um, or some sort of thing happening. But uh, it ended up being, well, and I'll get to it. Long story short after tons of scans, a glioblastoma. So stage four brain cancer. But I remember that, that day specifically, like it was a whirlwind and I, I didn't know what to think. We didn't know what to do, you know? And I remember getting a call from you. Well, your name on my phone. I thought it was me. (laughs) And, and I was like, oh, you know, Alyssa, she's probably calling to, you know, check in on me and see how I'm doing. Cause at this point he had had a seizure and, you know, there's so much stuff going on and, you know, no answers being given. And it had been um, a couple it, hours since yeah, you, it yeah. had been like seven hours since you had first texted us. Yeah, it was. So it was a long, it was a long day. And <laughs> so I was like, all right, she's calling to check in on me. And I just remember hearing, um, one of your friends voices come on the other line saying, is this Michaela? I was like, uh, yeah. And she was like, you were on one of the close lists that Alyssa wanted us to contact um, to let you know her dad just passed away. And I, w- I was sitting in the hospital hallway and I, I literally fell to the ground and I was like, oh my gosh, like here I am like dealing with all of this. And then like you just immediately just gone. So that was crazy, crazy day that you know, how significant that day is to both of us. Yeah. That that was, you know, the start of my very, very long grief journey. Oh and, my goodness, yeah. And the start of your long grief journey as well. So um so Michaela has a really unique perspective on grief. And it's part of why I asked her to come on and share because there's a different type of grieving that takes place when you know the illness is terminal, but the person is still alive. Um, the year after my dad passed, I talked a little bit about this earlier, but my uncle Joey um, battled ALS. And so he, that was another terminal. You kind of begin to grieve the person while they're still alive. Mm-hmm. And I remember you and I, uh, about a year later, your dad had passed and we were talking about um sort of the similarities of things that we were feeling and experiencing, but I was in, we, we were in two different places and mm-hmm. we pinpointed that to say like, man, we're, you're kind of, you're kind of a bit ahead of me, so yeah. to speak, because um, we, the conclusion we came to was that you had kind of already been grieving. Um, So I just want to hear a little bit about like 
what does grief mean to you given the uniqueness of this story? Yeah. Well, it's so hard. Cause like for me, obviously that day was the start of everything, you know, you, your brain starts spinning, you know, and you just start imagining every single thing that could happen. And obviously, you know, you and I were both grew up and raised in the church. And so the first thing you want to turn to is it's okay. Like he's going to be protected, you know, right. nothing, nothing too bad is going to happen, you know? And, and while I wish that was the case, you know, like kind of foolish thinking, like, to be honest, when I think about that, like, that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that kind of had me hold on for a little bit, but uh, like in the 17 months of my dad's battle, like I changed completely as a person, you know, mm-hmm. taking him to all of his appointments, seeing my dad, you know, in such a vulnerable state where I was, you know, one of his caregivers yeah. when I was still young and he was supposed to be taking care of me. Yeah. So like, it just, <laughs> it does stuff to you. And, oh my goodness. and it, and just watching that. And it's hard. Cause you know, there's always this like idea, I think where people are like you, they want to shield the person who's sick mm-hmm. from how sick they really are so that, you know, people don't get sad. And so that, you know, type of thing. Um, so I kind of felt like I, like our whole family had to be strong for my dad because, you know, he was not only going through his own grief of, Hey, I'm losing my life. Of, but he was going through tremendous amounts of pain mm-hmm. and radiation and chemo and clinical trials. And then, you know, however many months after leukemia. So now he's battling two cancers mm-hmm. and just, it kind of felt like it was like a never ending vicious cycle of hospitals and treatments and back and forth and back and forth. Um, all while, you know, at the back of your mind, you're still like the inevitable thing that is going to happen, you know, it's, it's there. So that was really tough to like, I think keep it together a lot because of knowing, Hey, this is probably going to be the end. And like, you know, people struggling with, um, the, I want to make every moment last and every moment count, you Mm -hmm. know, but also like, I don't want my life and memories to start to be fake. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like I know, I know the biggest, a real big thing was for me, you know, and you know, this about me, like I document everything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I, like I love pictures. I love videos. You know, I have my three nieces and like, I'm always taking videos and pictures of them because they're so stinking adorable. They are. But like it, it, it changed because with every video I took, with every picture I took, like I didn't want him to be like, Oh, are you just taking my picture because you know, I'm like inevitably dead, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and in in a way it, it was, you know, I did find myself, you know, taking more of those pictures because I think from that first day, the process started in my brain. It started immediately of what was to come. So, and I remember texting you because I remember going through my camera roll like a couple months later and just feeling like I didn't have enough of my dad's voice or enough mm-hmm. videos to like be watching him. And I remember we were talking about it and I said, Hey, 
take videos, like take pictures, document the movements because I wish I had those and you still have the chance to get those. And in a way it is the, you know, you, you kind of know this is how this is going to end and you don't want to make him feel like, Oh, I'm I'm only doing this because I know that you're going to pass away. But in truth, it's like a comforting thing to be able to have in the end is to look yeah. at even now you can look back at videos of your dad and you probably have a plethora of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I definitely, I'm definitely grateful that, you know, one that you said that and two that I did because yeah, it's huge. And and that's one thing I think I didn't realize, like it literally what two, five days ago we, I hit the two and a half year mark, Yeah, which is just, insane to me that like it's been that long but like (laughs) has it though you know type of thing and I find myself often like going back through my camera roll and stuff and just like man if Michaela then would have only known like (laughs) how tough it was gonna be but I am yeah I'm really grateful for for all the memories that I did you know get to store up What's something you wish you could tell your younger self about grief and how grieving was going to go? Um, oh man, it's <laughs> a good question. Um, honestly, I think the biggest thing that I have learned through this all is like, it doesn't necessarily get better with time. Mm. Um, I think the misconception around grief is if you make it past the first year or the second year or so on, you know, like it'll shrink, things will go back to normal, you know, whatever. But I feel like we kind of just learn how to grow around our grief. Um, And I think that really tripped me up because I was caught in a rut for a really long time of, like, okay, this sucks right now, but it's okay. It's going to get better. Like, I'm not going to be this sad forever, but like, that's not the case. Like as, as it's been, you know, two and a half years, I've begun to realize like, I'm never going to feel better about the situation, which, which is kind of beautiful in a way. Cause like, I think I honestly, I probably saw this on Instagram of something like, (laughs) um, (laughs) like the sadness and grief of, losing somebody is just proof that love existed Mm, and it's like I I mean like how true is that you know like I would almost feel like guilty if I suddenly just got over it you know type of thing so I think that that was the biggest thing for me realizing that things don't get better easier with time I mean maybe easier maybe easier in a different way I guess yeah is is what yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen there's this analogy that someone gave to me like two years ago of a box and a ball and the box yep. is like this representation of our life and the ball sits within this box and it's a representation of our grief and the box stays the same the same size but mm-hmm. the ball of grief there are days where it's so big that it seems like every part of the box is touching some part of the ball mm-hmm. and it just kind of feels like you wake up that morning and you are just weighed down with mm-hmm. the sadness and the missing yeah. that person but then there are days where the ball is 
a little bit smaller. And so maybe it's only touching one wall and days where the ball is so small that it's not touching any of the walls and you Mm -hmm. kind of don't really recognize that it's there. But whatever the case may be, the ball doesn't ever leave the box, right? Like there is no getting over it. There's just learning how to exist regardless of the size of the ball or the size of the grief. Yeah, I agree. I also love what you said about the love, love and grief going hand in hand. Um, Mm -hmm. A couple in one of the episodes, we made the comment that um, grief is a side effect of love. Like, Mm -hmm. of course, you are going to mourn so deeply the loss of someone's presence because you loved them so immensely. Like, that is just it goes hand in hand. Like, how could you not? Right. Um, what were, what were some of the most unhelpful things you heard while losing your dad, while he was alive and even after, like, what were things people said to you? And you were like, um, okay. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I had to have those, mm, okay. Brush it off moments a lot. I feel like, um, I think the biggest one that I came across of people, one that have not gone through it were would that would just say like um everything's happening for a reason that's oh, that's boy. that's a big kicker oh, um and even and even on the faith side of god has a plan for everything that's happening oh, in your life um yeah i had a i had to brush a lot of that off cuz uh those kind of comments really just did not help <laughs> um in you know in the feelings and stuff that I was processing you know like yeah I mean think about it like somebody's whole world is falling apart quite literally falling apart and you're gonna sit there and be like hey I see all those broken pieces on the ground but you know they're gonna make something beautiful like yeah I wish it could be that poetic but it's not (laughs) like you are legitimately watching your dad go from this big man who you knew him to be mm-hmm. to being confined to a wheelchair. And the last yeah. thing you need somebody to say to you is yeah. God has a plan. I remember FaceTiming right. my uncle Joey and he couldn't really get words out anymore because the ALS was affecting his speech so much. Mm-hmm. And it just was like the last thing that I probably needed to hear in that moment was that's okay. God has a plan because that mm-hmm. can be true. He can have a plan. And I know that he does. I believe that he does. But yeah. in that moment, I just need you to tell me that that sucks and it's sad yep. and it's hard. Yes. And that's all I need you to say. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it does. It literally sucked. Like, and I think my biggest thing that I struggled with was, um, the nature of my dad himself. You know, he was a pastor, you know, he, I mean, ask literally anybody that had spent five minutes with him and they would tell you how, you know, open and caring he was about people he didn't even know. And so I think to me, the um, idea of God having a plan for a man that has not done, you know, anything but goodness and like selfless serving his Mm -hmm. entire life for others, I kind of was like, like, what is, you know, what's the plan? Yeah. You know, he was doing a pretty darn good job, you know, before everything. So I think that too added an extra layer of like, why, like what, you know, I don't understand type of thing. Yeah. Cause would you say like along that thought, it kind of felt like a punishment, like an undeserved. Yeah. Yeah. It did. It did. It really did. And like, I mean, I, 
you remember whether it was a conversation I had or overhearing my dad many times saying like, you know, what did I like, did I do something? Did something oh, go gosh. wrong? You know, like, where did I go wrong? Oh, goodness. You know, what could, what I, could I have done to do better, you know, type of thing. And it's like, we had to remind him like, dad, like, it, like it, you didn't do anything. It's, it's, you're a human, it's your body, it's cancer, you know, mm. it's not, it's nothing you did that you could have prevented, you know? So that was, that was a big thing to kind of process through. Yeah. In telling him that it wasn't something he had done, do you feel like that eased your feelings of, wow, this feels like a punishment? Or do you feel like you still left with the questions of like, God, what in the world are you doing here? And why does it feel like he's being punished for something? Yeah. I mean, I think I kind of just like came to my own peace with it at the end. Like to me, it to me, it's like, God is good. The world is not. Yeah. Um, and you know, like I, I know everything good and true that there is to know about my dad. And I believe that to the ends of the earth, you know, I'll believe that till the day I die, you know, mm-hmm. all the, the good things that my dad was as a man. Um, and so, you know, I think I kind of got over that quickly of, I could care less, you know, yeah. what, whether this was a punishment, whether, you know, any of that philosophy, digging into that type of stuff, you know, I just, I knew, I know who my dad is and I know that we're in a really crappy situation, but it is what it is, you know. And you knew who, you know who God is and that yeah. was, that changes it too. Yeah. Doesn't make it. I mean, I love that you allowed yourself to ask that. I remember you and I ran into some of our friends in the mallway right outside of Wildcat. And one of them said to us, I don't get why your dads had to die because our dads Mm -hmm. suck. Like our dads are the worst and we don't understand why your dads who loved you so much. And And that was probably the first time that I ever was like, oh, I never thought like he didn't deserve that. So I love that you made space to ask that question because I think as believers, sometimes it can feel like we're not allowed to think that way or ask that. And maybe that's because we don't talk about grief enough to Mm. have people say to us, no, like there's room for your doubt and there's room for your anger. Yeah. So I love that you Right, right. It's like my faith, it's like my faith in what I believe in stuff isn't less just because I'm having these questions. I think that's right. a big misconception, you know, in the church in general of, oh, you better not be doubting or questioning anything. But, you know, I think it's good to have questions. I think, you know, a lot of stuff happens that people don't understand. So. Yeah, I agree. Um, So as you were sharing your story, you talked a bit about how you were one of your dad's main caretakers and in that process, who did you lean on, if anyone? I mean, what did what did community look like for you in that time? Yeah, um, definitely my immediate family. Um, as you know, and yeah. people know, I have three awesome big brothers um, who are all married. So I got three awesome sister-in-laws with that. And then my mom. Um, and like... We, I would definitely consider us a very close knit family. Yeah. Um, you know, we go through every single aspect of life together. Um, 
and it was it was nice because we were all going through it in the same way but also a different way so it was it was kind of nice to just kind of exist together if that yeah. makes sense um and you know like i think i found the most comfort in talking with my oldest brother um of just really being able to process with him a lot and him and i having a lot of the same like outlets I guess for grief like I'm a big crier like I just sometimes mm-hmm. I just I need to cry and like I externally process so talking it out you know how no matter how painful it might be just at the end is just like a release type of thing um so definitely like I mean my my core community 100% my family um and I did I did have awesome awesome community at IWU um it it was a, it was difficult i think because i was 3 hours away from home so that you know added a whole extra level of while he was still alive and sick like i was a paranoid nervous wreck because you know on i think it was sophomore year probably the very first day of classes he went in for a second brain surgery to remove a mass and i was sitting in my 925 world lit class you know like just going through the motions and you know like a select few people knew like I'm sure you knew and our friend groups knew and my roommates knew, you know people knew and I'm so thankful for like the friends that I had during that time to just like be there and support me um obviously like you know this it's different when you have a friend you know supporting you but they don't necessarily know what it is you're experiencing right and so, like, I found that really difficult of I did have a, a big sense of community, but I had to be careful um, kind of just how much I shared, I think, um, to protect, like, my emotional health of, yeah. like, I I don't want to have to try and explain this to you mm-hmm. type of thing, if that makes sense. So, yeah, definitely, definitely, like, didn't lack community, but it was definitely... Um, you know, pick and choose of who I needed to support me at the time. Yeah, that's it's interesting you say that because in walking through grief right now with a friend and even in other people who I've met who share their story, would you say like there are times where you feel like you your friend is trying to care for you and you feel like you have to care for them because like do you feel like you have to fill that with words or explain to them what's going on or Yeah, yeah. I mean I I, there were countless times when like all that I feel like I needed and wanted in the moment was to just be able to like sit and cry about it or sit and like be mad about it or just sit and, you know, after my dad had passed. Cause I, cause I mean, my journey, literally my dad got sick at, at the beginning of my college career, died in the middle. And then I had to finish, you know, so I was mm-hmm. surrounded by a lot of the same friends for these whole four years that this entire process, you know, worked itself out through. Um, so I think there, there were, there was a lot of different times where I needed different things. Um, and it, I just felt kind of awkward, I guess, like yeah, having to try and explain that to people like, Hey, you know, I really want to like share this memory about my dad. Like I, it's been on my mind and like, I love, like, I love talking about him. Like he's the best man in the world to me. Like I adore him. And like my memories with him are so 
so sweet and like precious. And like, sometimes like I would just want to like sit and talk and like not be sad and just like talk about the great memories. And then like, I would read the room and people would be like sobbing, like, Oh my gosh, she's sharing this memory about her dead father. (laughs) Like, I'd be like, Oh no, like, it's okay. Like I'm smiling. Yeah. Like, no, I'm good. Yeah. Like I'm just, I'm reliving the memories, you know, type of thing. So that's something that I've always admired about you. You have always shared well and joyfully not that I wouldn't admire it if you weren't joyful but most of the time like you share stories about your dad and I can just see how much you love him like written all over your face and it was that was something that I couldn't do it was so hard for me to share stories and I remember I don't think I really did I mean maybe to my best friends I did I would share like a memory but it would lead to big emotion and I remember the first time that I ever shared a story about my dad I was in a car with um three other friends. And it was the first time that I was sharing with two of these friends ever just outright Mm -hmm. unasked for something reminded me of him. And I was going into, Mm -hmm. Oh, my dad used to. And, um, it was the first time that I did that without feeling overwhelmed by emotion. And I was in the middle of explaining this thing that my dad did and the car had been silent and there was music playing. So I'm thinking that they were listening and the, person who was driving interrupted me and said something to the guy to the person sitting next to me and I and I stopped mid-sentence and I was like oh and that kind of inserted this thought into my head that oh I people don't necessarily want to hear because it Mm. felt then even if maybe he hadn't been listening maybe he had been thinking of something else but yeah in that moment it was like oh my stories of my dad intrude on other people's lives so I don't want to like I'm going to keep that to myself yeah yeah and it it almost feels like like it's a burden like I you know that's something that I struggle with a lot um just like day to day like you know we graduated or and I I moved back I got an adult teaching job Mm -hmm. I am meeting all these new people um dating even like all of the above it's like it's a conversation that I want to have because of the importance that he plays in my life. Right. But like, I just sometimes feel like such a burden of like bringing it up and being like, Hey, I, I don't mean to be annoying. Like, I don't want to be, I don't want you to feel this way, but like, it is something that I need to talk about. And Mm -hmm. it is healing to me, you know, to talk about him and keep his memory alive. And, and there's definitely been, you know, situations and scenarios where sometimes that's really accepted and people are like, thank you for sharing. Thank you for the trust. And then other times it's like, all right, <laughs> moving on, you know. <laughs> Why in the world is it? I, I have been thinking this for at least the last week. Why in the world do we feel like we need to apologize for make room? Like, why do we feel awkward? Why do we feel like a burden when we talk? I mean, why in the world in our relationships? Cause that's a common thing that I have learned in walking with other people through grief and walking through my own grief is like, we feel apologetic. Why, why do we grieve in that way? We need to grieve unapologetically and say, no, this is raw and real and where I am. And if it makes you uncomfortable, then let's work through that. But I should not have to apologize for this natural thing. it, It makes, it turns us into like damaged goods is what I 
refer to it as. Mm-hmm. And like, I hate that that's like the stereotype and stigma yeah. of like, we're damaged now, you know, because we experienced something like this. But I feel like a lot of times that's how I'm made to feel yeah. like when it's not received well. Right. Like I am not any less of a person because yeah. I'm grieving. I had someone in my life like who pretty much made it out to sound as though they didn't feel I could be a good friend to them Mm -hmm. because I was grieving and that wrecked me. I mean, that has completely infiltrated, like it's an intrusive thing in all of my other relationships because though that thought is so harmful and being someone who has grieved frequently and heavily Mm -hmm. and often, it's kind of like, Oh, there are times where I, there were there are moments where I had refused to share that I was having a hard week with other friends because this thing this person had said was like echoing in my mind. And mm-hmm. I was like, if I tell them that I'm having a bad week when they're in the middle of a bad week, they're not going to share with me anymore because yeah. then they won't they'll feel like whatever they're going through, they'll feel like they can't share with me because my thing is, quote unquote, bigger, yeah. which there should be no which is comparison. A terrible stigma. I know. Yeah. I know. I hate it. Yeah. Gosh. It's it's stuff like this. It's learning things like this that uh, make me realize how little we talk about grief in community mm-hmm. and how important it is to do so because there are a lot of stigmas and a lot of misconceptions that I think would just disappear if we actually communicated. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you would agree, but I think that uh, that should begin in the church. I think that should start. Mm-hmm in the church like if we understand that our emotions are god-given and that we should honor them like it's pastors and friends and other believers who should be encouraging within us Mm -hmm. to honor the things that we're feeling Mm -hmm. looking back now what needs if there are any that exist can you identify in those early weeks and months, because in the moment people tend to ask us, what do you need? If you need anything, I'm here. And you're like, I don't know what I need, but you're, you're two years out. Can you, do you see any things that you, you needed two years ago that you have words for now, but didn't have words for then? Um, I think two things come to mind. One kind of just like advice for when you do have somebody that goes through it. I found um, the question that me and my family got the most was, well, literally what you're asking, what do you need? And in the moment, like somebody who's grieving doesn't know what they need. Like, that's just like asking me to, you know, use more brain cells that I don't have to come up with something (laughs) that I need. So I feel like the most helpful thing, you know to say or do for somebody who's grieving is just doing anything right like drop off the meal send the car you know let the dog out you know like small small very small unrelated things that Mm -hmm. like just really take small weights off that add up so that the person can have more space to just sit in their feelings, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, for me too, I I went through the period, you know, I lost my dad set, or October um, of 2019, so my junior year. Mm-hmm. So from the time I went home to when you, he went to hospice and everything, we had about a week or whatever that we kind of knew 
it was the end. So the end of September through October, I, I mean, I was in the heat of school and, you know, I had to put it on pause. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad passed away October 1st. We had a week to prepare for the funeral and everything. We had it that weekend on a Saturday. I drove back to school on Sunday. And the number one thing I remember being told, and I just, I hated it, was people were telling me that I was doing things too soon. Like, you don't, you don't need to do that. You're doing it too soon. Like, are you sure you don't want to take more time? And I feel like for me, I needed to get back to my schedule Mm -hmm. and my routine and like, like, like my life can't stop, you know, just cause, you know, I mean, it did feel like it stopped, but like, I was super passionate about becoming a special ed teacher. Like I wanted, I didn't want to throw that away, you know? Yeah. Um, and it just felt good to honestly just be able to, I think, maintain and kind of have some control, mm-hmm. um, after I literally just, you know, lost everything that I could not control. Um, so I think that's a big thing of like, some people may think they're helping when they're like, Oh, don't do this too soon. Or, Oh, it's okay. You know, kind of like the pity, like, you're so broken and fragile right now. You know, it's okay. Like, no, like, don't tell me that. Like I'm going to do me and just, just support. Yeah. Like, honestly, like I had, you know, my best friend Elizabeth was a huge support during this whole time. Like Mm -hmm. she, she without a drop doubt dropped everything and drove, um, to me the, the night before the visitation and funeral and everything. And like, she didn't even text or call me. She just showed up. She helped run like all the whole visitation for my dad, like I remember that. without help, without asking, you know, nothing stood by my side the whole day and like did not leave and did not do anything until like she felt it was right or I said something, you know? And so like, just like the support that was there, like I didn't have to ask for any of that. Yeah. And it just like eased my heart so much to know that I had people caring for me in that way. Um, so yeah, I guess, I guess those were the biggest needs, honestly, support, support and like the understanding that you don't understand, but that you're there type of thing. Yeah. What I'm hearing you say is it's, it's less about the words Elizabeth had to give you and just her presence and being Mm -hmm. around. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. So, um, in going back to school because I do remember that and I remember you saying people keep telling me that it's so soon Mm -hmm. and did you ever come to a point where you were hit with a wave of grief and felt like you couldn't do it anymore yeah um so that was so 2019 you know was the end of the year when Mm -hmm. he passed um I remember coming home um, for Christmas break. So, you know, I went back to school for like what, two months or whatever, came home December. Um, that was the first, the first wave, if you will. Um, of I was home. I think, I think that was a big factor for me of I left and went to school and I have no memories necessarily with my dad at school because I was at college. You know, my dad wasn't with me at college. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I kind of, you know, I think I kind of was able to like dissociate, um, quite honestly, when I went back to school and like, 
obviously it was on my mind 24 seven, but you know, there wasn't necessarily things reminding me of it. Yeah. Um, so the biggest, so when I went home for Christmas break, I was a mess, you know, pulling into the driveway, you know, his truck, right. You know, walking into the backyard, the weeping willow tree he planted for me, mm-hmm. you know, his pictures everywhere, you know, you know, 20, 30 still bouquets of flowers, dried bouquets of flowers and plants from the funeral, you know? And so that was just like a whoosh of man, this did, this did happen. Mm-hmm. It's it, it did happen. And now I'm here and I have to sit in it and live in it. And even, even my family too, you know, like being away from them, being away from my mom, um, you know, it was, it's tough on her, you know, yeah. it, 30 some years of marriage and she just lost her person, you know, she, she's not the same person, you know, and, and even though I am hurting a lot as well, like from this grief, I can't even begin to fathom the different type of grief that she's feeling, Mm -hmm. you know, her life partner now being gone. So like, that was a huge, like, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm really going through it moment for me. Yeah. What differences did you notice in each individual family member, how they grieved versus how you grieved? And Mm -hmm. in that, did you, in their differences, did you feel free to grieve not the same? Yeah, (laughs) I actually talk about this a lot with my older brother, um, just because I think we are, because him and I grieve very much similarly. Yeah. Um, I like, we have weekly family dinners. Um, currently, cause we all still live in the same town. Yeah. And like, I think he and I will talk about my dad every single family dinner, you yeah. know, just like something that is fun or funny. You know, my dad was such a goofy guy. Like, so we always have like funny memories and stuff, you know? Um, and so that he and I find comfort in that and in sharing the memories. My other two brothers do not. Um, one is very inward um emotions like like does not express you know not not a lick of expression or anything um but like you know it's there Mm -hmm. but he's not he won't he won't say it you know and he won't talk about it he doesn't he doesn't necessarily I think know how to say it um but he he still is processing it and then my other one I think um, kind of the same thing of like, oh, I got to be strong. I don't really want to cry about it. I don't, you know. So that was, you know, super interesting to experience. And then even my sister-in-laws, you know, it was it was kind of weird, a weird experience for me, like seeing them grieve my dad. Because mm-hmm. I was like, like, okay, he's my dad. Why are you sad? But like, I mean, it just goes to show like they were, they were his, you know, three bonus daughters, you know, yeah. obviously not me, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm always number one. But, <laughs> um, and so that was really interesting of like watching them, you know, be sad about it too, but, and then also supporting each of my brothers, mm-hmm. you know, and feeling like they had to support my brothers while still clearly seeing, um, the sadness that they carried with them as well. And then my mom too, my mom just like had a very tough time expressing, expressing a whole lot of grief. Um, and I think because, you know, she was our mom and she kind of took over the role of I'm the strong one now I'm, yeah. you know, and I, and we had many conversations of she, she almost 
while grieving my dad was also grieving for us for losing our dad so young. Mm -hmm. I remember countless times her saying like, and crying, like, I'm so sorry Mm -hmm. that you don't have a dad at 21. Like, I'm so sorry you lost your dad so young. Like, Michaela, I'm so sorry that your dad's never going to meet your future husband. I'm so Mm -hmm. sorry that your dad's not going to be at your wedding. I'm so sorry that your dad didn't get to see you graduate college. And like, she took on that burden as her own, you know, almost as if it was like her fault in a way, which obviously wasn't, but you know, you could see that she, that she carried all that with her. So, yeah. Yeah. And those are good um, things to point out as proof of how grief is something that we're going to wrestle with for the rest Mm -hmm. of our lives. Because when another new milestone comes along or like it's going to be when, when you get married, when I get married, it's going to be a grieving again. All right. Well, dad's not here. And my whole life I imagined him here. And so what is it like now? And yeah, I would, I think it's funny. It's not funny and also comforting to be able to talk about how differently families grieve like I wish someone would have told me that I was going to grieve differently than my siblings because oh yeah my sister she does a really good job at even in that first like six months she could just pinpoint an emotion feel the emotion tell the story that reminded her of Mm. dad and just you know then move forward and one of my brothers he he like teeters on this line of sometimes he can and sometimes he won't and then I have a brother who just will I mean he's a lot like your brother he retreats in and doesn't do this outward expression he does to I think a few people but when it's all of us Mm -hmm. together it's so much harder and I I think it's because we all feel like we need to be there for the other person and there's not a lot of freedom to just say like I don't need to be to be a rock for you and you don't need to be a rock for me. Can we all just agree that like we're we kind of feel like we're walking through a valley right now and it's hard. And in the same way that your mom felt like she, you know, had to be a rock. I think that's how I felt in that last Mm -hmm. summer. So it was hard for me to process, but it's still hard for me to be vulnerable with my family and to be Mm -hmm. honest about how like I I go through those same when my siblings graduated from high school. My dad was only at my high school graduation. He passed away before the three others graduated from high school. And so I remember saying to them, I'm so sorry that dad's not here for your graduation. I'm so sorry dad's not here for your first day of college. I'm so sorry dad's not here for, you know, X, Y, Z, like, because I felt guilty to have had experienced that with him. And then I'm mourning something that they, I mean, I'm sure they're grieving in the way we were just talking about, about how you grieve, oh, he should have been here. And I'm grieving because like I had experienced that and I feel guilty for it and wish that they could have the same thing. Like I, my dad wrote me a letter every week of my freshman year of college and I still have them all Mm -hmm. and I remember when James came into college I wanted to do the same thing I wanted to write him letters because I was grieving that he didn't get that difference of relationship with dad and that difference of communication so it's good to be able to say like no you we're different people and while we lost the same person right well and it's so hard because like I mean it caused a lot of arguments you know to be honest in my family of Mm -hmm back and forth of like, why are you guys talking about this right now? We're trying to have a fun family dinner and just like nobody, you know, really understanding each other. Um, And so that I think was a really big thing that, I mean, we still are walking through, 
as a family figuring out, you know, Hey, we don't need to get in an argument about this. It's not meant to be an argument. It's just, we're all, we're still all processing in our own ways. So, yeah. Yeah. And just because you're not at that point doesn't mean that I can't honor that I'm at that point, but how can I respect you? Like not wanting to share, you know, man, it's so, it's so challenging, but I think when we're, you know, honoring those feelings and communicating together, even fighting well about it. Like it can Mm -hmm. bring you closer together than anything, but you have to be willing to have hard conversations and not tiptoe on eggshells around the topic, which I think is what, what a lot of people, not just immediate family, but what a lot of friends and and others tend to do because they just, they just don't know. And the uncomfortability, we just want to avoid it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so talking about um, friends and Elizabeth, like how she, you know, just practiced presence with you really well. Um, what were some other practical things people did that made you feel free to grieve the way that you needed to and allowed mm-hmm. you to release that oh, apologeticness of of feeling the way that you felt? Yeah, um, I think uh, I experienced a lot of this actually my senior year, um, just with the group I think that I was living with and group of friends that I kind of surrounded myself with. Um, I think just letting me be free to, um, talk about and celebrate things. Like for example, like the small anniversaries, um, like my, the one year anniversary was, you know, October of my senior year. Um, and I felt really strongly about honoring my dad in a special way. Um, and so I asked like a close set of friends, you being one of them, um, to meet me at the, at the pond, um, yeah. with some balloons, um, and kind of like wrote a letter to my dad. And then if, if people wanted to, they wrote a letter to him and kind of just like released them. And I think that was, that was really special to me. Like the fact that I had friends willing mm-hmm. to sit with me in that pain and, and, and awkwardness to be, to be completely honest, you know, it was kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm one of the people that, you know, I'll make the funny jokes or whatever, like in awkward situations, like to make people giggle, but like, it was an awkward process. Like I didn't know what to do like in that moment, but like every single person that showed up just was there and they just stood and we did it together. And it was just a really beautiful thing to like, see some of my friends that hadn't even met my dad, Mm -hmm. you know, just be able to honor him, honor him with me, um, and acknowledge, I think acknowledge that I made it. Um, yeah. So that was a really big thing for me. And then again, like we talked about just letting me like indulge in the memories, um, and traditions to honor him, like a, a big thing that I know, you know, too, about my dad, Mountain Dew. Oh, I don't know boy. why, but <laughs> Pastor Cujo and Mountain Dew, big old thing. Um, and so like I would have days where like literally, and this sounds so silly, but it's, it's, I mean, this is literally grief and it just makes me laugh, you yeah. know, and you only understand it if you go through it. Right. Of I would go into Wildcat, the dining hall, and every single time I would go to get my drink, I would see the Mountain Dew and like, I would just like literally freeze and 
Yeah. Like it was an inst- instantaneous, like, <sighs> okay. And like some days I would feel more strongly and I'd be like, you know what? We're getting the do for you today, dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like small things. And like, I, there were times where like, I would do that and I would be like, I would maybe say something small to a friend. Like, yeah, I'm just really missing my dad today. So I'm going to get some Mountain Dew for him. And like, I think I remember one time I had a friend like, be like I'm going to get some Mountain Dew for him too. Yeah, um, that's and so just sweet. like so, so sweet. Like it's literally a pop, but like just, you know, those small things that, you know, really just made me feel, I think being seen yeah. in, in my grief and, and whatnot. So yeah, that was, that was really, really huge, huge to me. Um, and then also, also not having to be seen. I think, you know, for us, um, I was a very small campus. Mm -hmm. So when I came back after being gone for those two weeks, I felt like every single person's eyes were on me Mm -hmm. and I literally could read the expression on people's face of, Oh, sad girl with dead dad. Like I kid you not, I could read it. I could read it. Right. Um, And so like, I think too, um, having the friends and community and people to just like, let you not have to go through it. Like, Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm still a young college girl wanting to have these fun college experiences. Like just because I'm going through this traumatic event right now, like I still want to have fun. I still want to be quote unquote normal. Um, and so I think, I, I think I had a good balance, you know, I got really lucky with the balance of friends that I had that would be willing to do, you know, all of those things with me. It goes back to that thought of, I am not damaged. Like, yes, yeah. I am going to live with this for the rest of my life. Like C.S. Lewis has that great quote about, yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of like losing a limb and you will never grow that limb back. But like, I am not damaged. I can still yeah. live a good life. Um, mm-hmm. man, that's really good. When you were talking about the awkwardness earlier, we've kind of gone over that a couple times and just the question of like, why do we feel awkward? Why do other people feel awkward? A thought that came to mind that might be a little harsh is I think what I would want to say to those people is this isn't about you. Like yeah. you don't need to feel awkward because me crying right now, me sharing right now you not knowing what like this isn't about you so the awkwardness just needs to be released because in that moment if I'm crying in front of you or sharing a story that means that I feel vulnerable enough around you that you feel safe enough that I can be that way Mm -hmm. and the worst like the worst thing you could do for me is like just make it awkward and about you so figuring out like how and that might be really harsh I I'm sorry if that sounds really harsh but I think one of the best things our friends can do for us is figure out why they feel awkward and then learn Mm -hmm. how to process that outside of the encounters with us because it's okay to be uncomfortable and not know what to do. But like in that moment, like I just need you to sit with me. I don't need you to know what exactly to do. The thing not to do is make it about you. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much grace in that. Don't hear me say that there's not grace. (laughs) Um, so kind of the same question, but in a different stage of your life, what were some practical things people did when you were caring for your dad when he was alive? What were things people did that allowed you Mm -hmm. to feel like, oh, I can be sad or I can be joyful or I can grieve now? 
Um, man. If anything at all. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think kind of just the same things like, um, I guess just switched up a little bit of, okay, now rewind of not letting me share memories and stuff, but letting me talk, I I guess just about the outcome. Mm-hmm. Like I remember, um, my sophomore, junior year roommate, um, Shelby would like sit with me and like ask questions of like, okay, so like, what does this mean? You know, you know, my dad, my dad's journey was very intricate, um, Mm -hmm. and complex as, you know, a glioblastoma is a very, very rare brain cancer and like all the, all the twists and turns and then the leukemia, like there's a lot of questions I think of like what comes next. Yeah. Um, and so I think the thing maybe like during that helped me a lot was like processing through those questions of, of what does come next. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause obviously again, in the back of your mind is always the inevitable of what's going to happen. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think, I think the same, it just all comes back to, you know, having, having the support of, of the, of my community, of my people. That's really good. I love the consistency because to me that says just how much it means to you and to others that you're just present and you're just near mm-hmm. and that you make room. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much for being so vulnerable and walking back through some painful stuff. It mm-hmm. means a lot to me and I hope that it was beneficial for you and beneficial for those yeah. who listen. Yeah. yeah, a super, super healing experience. You know, I love, I love getting to chat with you. So, well, right back at you. <laughs> thanks for, thanks for listening. <laughs>